from a health perspective, my goal is to have as many people wearing masks when they can't socially distance as possible. Tonight on the KRBD Evening Report. Alaska's top doctor speaks to legislators about the importance of wearing masks in crowded spaces. Plus, it's not just humans that can feel the effects of paralytic shellfish poisoning. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. Mostly clear tonight with lows around 50 in northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. Partly sunny tomorrow with highs in the mid-60s in north winds to 10 miles an hour. Partly cloudy Wednesday night with lows around 50 northwest winds up to 10 miles an hour. Thursday, we've got a chance of rain showers with highs around 70 and winds from the west at 15 miles an hour. Thursday night, we've got a chance of rain. You're listening to the KRBD Evening Report. I'm your host, Eric Stone. Alaska's top doctor last week gave several reasons why Alaskans should wear masks when they can't stay six feet away from others. But she didn't say they have to do it. Alaska Public Media and KTOO's Andrew Kitchenman reports on an update to the state's response to COVID-19. Some Alaska lawmakers want to know why the state hasn't announced more changes in response to the recent rise in COVID-19 cases in the state. Over the past month, the number of confirmed active cases of the virus has grown from roughly 50 to more than 300. Bethel Democratic Representative Tiffany Zolkowski noted that many Alaskans aren't following advice from state officials to wear masks when social distancing isn't possible. So she asked Alaska Chief Medical Officer Dr. Ann Zink about it. And would you advise a temporary mandate where social distancing isn't possible could be effective in curbing the spread of the virus in Alaska? Zink says scientific data is increasingly showing that wearing a mask is an important tool in stopping the coronavirus. From a health perspective, my goal is to have as many people wearing masks when they can't socially distance as possible um, and whatever tools we can use to get there. There's a lot of debate on which tools are most effective for all sorts of different reasons, uh, but we continue to try to get the message uh, consistently uh, that a mask is an important tool moving forward. But Zink says the state isn't emphasizing broad mandates, instead opting for more surgical and geographically targeted responses to outbreaks. On Friday, Anchorage Mayor Ethan Berkowitz announced a mandate for residents there to wear masks in all public indoor spaces. And Zink says many Alaska businesses have been proactive on masks. I think it's important to remember the virus is the enemy here and not each other, and to see businesses being able to come together to be able to mitigate this disease has been fantastic. Zink acknowledges that fatigue with the pandemic has set in. I think all of us uh, are over COVID. It's uh, no fun, but COVID really sets the timetable. Zink says the recent rise in cases is different than the one that occurred in March. The state is catching more cases due to increased testing and each case is receiving more contact tracing since the state has expanded its capacity. State officials say they're aiming to have 500 people doing contact tracing, up from the current number of roughly 140. School districts are being added as partners, including school nurses. State epidemiologist Dr. Joe McLaughlin also addressed the legislators during the meeting. Until we have an effective vaccine or treatment for COVID-19, We need to continue to rely on non-pharmaceutical public health interventions to slow the spread of this virus. Zink says Alaskans should continue to work from home if possible. In general, if your work can be done via telework or other uh, remote ways, we highly recommend it. 
Our office is teleworking. Dr. Joe McLaughlin and I, uh, we were joking that we ran into each other on a trail and have not seen each other since the pandemic started. Zink says it's not possible to isolate only those who are at high risk from the disease. We often get asked, why don't we just kind of protect this small group? It's not a small group, it's at least a third of us. 32% of Alaskans have been identified as having one or more risk factors, as defined by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. In Juneau, I'm Andrew Kitchenman. The Ketchikan City Council is set to consider an ordinance that would mandate mask wearing within city limits. We'll have more on that tomorrow on the KRBD Evening Report. Most coastal residents have heard about paralytic shellfish poisoning and the dangers that it poses to humans. But it's not just people that can get sick or even die from eating toxic mussels, clams, or other molluscan shellfish. As KCAW's Aaron McKinstry reports, pet owners need to watch out for their pups, too. Naomi Bargman leans over the edge of the Stargavin dock to dip a frosted plastic bottle attached to a net into the cold waters of Sitka Sound. Her Alaskan husky, Chicky, lounges on the dock beside her. Chicky's not very good at helping. She's doing something called a plankton tow. Her lab conducts one once a week to get a snapshot of what's going on with the water's microscopic life. So the most important thing is make sure you don't lose the bottle. (laughs) Make sure it's screwed on tightly. And throw it in the water. Try to get some water in the bottle so it sinks. And then one more time, and we're going to let it go to its watery grave at the bottom. Bargman works as an environmental lab specialist for the Sitka tribe of Alaska. They opened a lab in 2016 to monitor for harmful toxins that cause paralytic shellfish poisoning, or PSP. What Bargman's doing today helps track harmful algal blooms that can produce those toxins. Blooms can serve as an early warning sign for people who harvest shellfish or pet owners with shellfish-loving dogs. Fortunately, we haven't seen the harmful algal species in high concentrations lately. The lab also tests shellfish directly and has a free testing program for Sitkins. Bargman says about 80% of the butter clams they've tested since September have been over the FDA limit. Butter clams, um, I like to say that they don't know how to socially distance themselves from PSP because once they get um, high levels of PSP, they tend to hang on to them for months to even years. A dog was recently hospitalized after eating a clam at South Star Gavin Beach. Dr. Takoa Wolf from Sick Animal Hospital treated the sick puppy. Really the only thing you can do is the tincture of time supporting them through the toxicity if it's severe. Sometimes that means giving them nausea medication, IV fluids, warming them if they're having difficulty keeping their temperature up, um, and monitoring their heart rate because it can cause a very fast heart rate. Dr. Wolf started practicing in Sitka last August. Since then, she's heard of about four suspected cases from other vets in town. But this is the only one she's treated here where the dog had a known history of eating shellfish. She says most dogs make a full recovery by the next day, including the one she treated. Initial signs of PSP in a dog include unstable walking, excessive drooling, weakness, and vomiting. I would say the most important thing is, you know, not to panic. It doesn't mean that, you know, your dog can't take a nice casual walk on the beach. It's something to be aware of. If you see the signs, it's good to get to a veterinarian. Because it could be something else that needs to be treated. And even though it's rare, dogs can die from PSP just like people. It can progress to muscle paralysis, 
and even respiratory depression um, or difficulty breathing. And there has been reports of pets having to be put on a ventilator um, to see through it. It's not much of a low tide this year. Okay. After completing the plankton tow, Naomi Bargman takes her pup for a walk along North Stargavin Beach. Recently, the lab found high levels of PSP in a butter clam just south of here, on the other side of the creek. The same place where the dog Dr. Wolf treated got sick. As Chicky roams with her nose to the ground, Bargman doesn't keep too close of an eye. She's not much of a shellfish eater. Fortunately for me, I'm not that worried, you know. She eats other disgusting things instead. (laughs) But for dog owners whose pets are into digging up and munching shellfish... The best thing they can do is keep them on a leash at the beach and keep watch for local advisories. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. The list of Republican candidates seeking to represent island communities of southeast Alaska in the state house is down to two. A Sitka man has withdrawn his name from the August primary, leaving challengers on Prince of Wales Island and in Huna. The winner of that primary race will take on the Sitka incumbent Democrat Jonathan Christ Tompkins in the fall. Joe Vicknicki reports. The two Republican candidates seeking House District 35 seat have worked together and speak well of each other. 31-year-old Arthur Martin lives in Hollis and worked in the legislature for former Representative Peggy Wilson of Wrangell for three years. Martin says he was born in Sevastopol on the Crimean Peninsula in the former Soviet Union and immigrated to the U.S. when he was seven years old. This year's widespread protest in the U.S. inspired him to run for office. These riots and these protests don't have anything to do with police incompetence. No, it has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. What we're living through is um, cultural revolution. And this is the same tactics that are happening now with tearing down of statues was literally the exact same tactics that happened in the Soviet Union. You have uh, really no freedom of speech. Um, throughout the country as a whole, if you say something that's uh, politically insensitive, you will get banned on social media platforms. You may even lose your job. Martin says he's not afraid to speak his mind. In early June, protesters gathered outside of a Ketchikan flower shop that declined to sell flowers for a same-sex marriage. Martin was one of two counter-protesters supporting the shop that day. He graduated from the University of Alaska Fairbanks with a degree in political science. He now works as a deckhand and night watchman for the Inner Island Ferry Authority, which offers ferry service between Prince of Wales Island and Ketchikan. He also owns a small business cleaning vehicles and started a news website, powreport.com. He's committed to term limits for politicians, and he makes a promise he'll step down from office after two years if he fails to get term limits on the ballot. In my opinion, politicians kick the can down the road because they don't want to make the hard decisions that need to be made. You know, look at a um, look at budget inflation. Our politicians don't want to fix the budget because it would mean cutting a lot of jobs, a lot of uh, workers, a lot of programs, and these are tough. And so instead legislators focus on pork barrel spending and other, you know, minute little legislation that doesn't actually do anything. Meanwhile, the rest of Alaskans are suffering. With the primary election just weeks away and a pandemic complicating travel, Martin says his main campaign outreach will be online, but he does hope to visit other communities in the district to campaign in person. 
two years ago, Martin did some campaign work for his opponent in this year's primary. Kenny Carl Scaffelstead came in second in the primary for the House seat in 2018. The 60-year-old Scaffelstead is a former mayor, counselor, and a public works director for HUNA and says he's running to give people a voice. My travels have, have taken me, given me access to a pretty good section of our population in this district, and it just... Uh, the resounding message was my voice is not heard. Nothing I have to say really goes with anything that's happening at our legislature. Uh, and, and so my chief reason was just there were just too many voices left unheard uh, about their concerns. Scaffoldstead is a construction consultant and does some construction work. He also does some commercial fishing when he can. Responsible budgeting for state government is a concern of his, and he thinks state spending needs to be cut. He also says resource development could help the state budget picture. We've got to take a serious look about about uh, getting more than one basket for our egg. <laughs> As a matter of speaking, and by that I mean resource development has to be an open concept. Anyway, we have to be able to access some resources and get some industry-level uh, investment and attention. The district covers many of the island communities of the central panhandle from Prince of Wales Island in the south, stretching to Elf and Cove and Huna in the north, and including Sitka, Angoon, Petersburg, Cake, and Craig. Scaffoldstead plans to travel on his fishing boat to campaign around those communities. A third candidate, Richard Calkins of Sitka, has withdrawn. The primary election is August 18th. In Petersburg, I'm Joe Vicknicki. That's it for this edition of the KRBD Evening Report. You can get this show as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get it on your smart speaker by asking it to play the KRBD Evening Report or by asking it to play KRBD. Thanks so much for listening. I've been your host, Eric Stone.